subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. That is Jude, verse 5. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would anoint this message this morning. But most of all, Lord, have your way. Lord, shut me up when I need to be shut up. And you speak as you see fit. I pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts, change our lives. Lord, do a work in our lives, Father. And help us, Father, to have our hearts so saturated and ready to receive your word. We thank you. If you're in agreement, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. The title of my message this morning is The Sin of Unbelief. The Sin of Unbelief. Before I go into uh, the message this morning, I just want to say, please keep Brother Booker and Brother Holderby in prayer. They are both in the hospital with pneumonia. And uh, we need to keep them in prayer. We know that God is healer. We know that God is healer. So we're going to believe God to have His way. Amen? Amen. We read out of the book of Jude in verse 5. I'm going to read it one more time. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. What Jude is saying here is how God showed His right arm. But after he showed his might, after he showed his power, after he showed his greatness, it wasn't appreciated. Now, why am I talking about this this morning? Let me give you a little bit of background. A few weeks ago, two Sundays ago, a church in Sutherland Springs was half, about half the congregation that hit, was there that Sunday morning was murdered in cold blood. Can happen to anybody. Can happen to any church. Can happen in any city. It's the times that we're living in. How many believe that? It's the times we're living in. So you and I need to make sure that we're ready. At all times, not just on Sunday morning, not just on Wednesday nights, not just on Monday nights, but we have to make sure that we're living ready at all times. When I heard about the news two Sundays ago, it reminded me of a headline and I don't have it up here. I don't think we do, but it reminded me of a headline that I read uh, out of the Daily News out of New York. Maybe I can hold it up. That's a good way to do it. Man, Brother Aaron is thinking this morning. Those of you who are on podcast, you can't see this, but if you look at the Daily News, if you want to Google God isn't fixing this, go ahead. But let's see if I can, it'll straighten up for me. There's a headline that I saw called God isn't fixing this. Now, this wasn't the headline that had to do with Sutherland Springs, but it was a headline that had to do a few years ago in Sacramento when ISIS, an ISIS fighter, shot up his his workplace and shot up some co-workers in Sacramento, I think in San Bernardino? Not Sacramento, San Bernardino in California. And the headline on the news was God isn't fixing this. And so it reminded me two weeks ago of that headline, God isn't fixing this, as if God is getting the blame for the things that are happening around the world, and things are getting worse, and people are asking, where is God in all of this? And we read in Jude, verse 5, Jude is saying, I want to remind you even though you already know this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, He saved them, He pulled them out of Egypt, and afterwards, He destroyed the very people that He pulled out of Egypt, 
that didn't believe him. After he revealed his right arm, after he revealed his strength and his power, the people simply shrugged their shoulders and said, eh, it's not a big deal. God delivered Israel with his might and through the blood. How many of you remember the story in the book of Exodus when every family, every male had to slaughter a lamb and place the blood of that lamb over the doorpost of their home in order to protect that home. And God delivered the children of Israel. The Bible says that he drowned Pharaoh's armies. Now, if you think about it, Pharaoh and his army were basically the ISIS of that day. He drowned Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. Israel didn't have to do anything. Israel didn't have to fight back. God was the one who lured Egypt into the Red Sea. He allowed Israel, and the Bible says he allowed Israel to cross over through the Red Sea on dry ground. So it it wasn't enough for God to split the Red Sea in half. But even knowing as they're going through in carts, heavy equipment, knowing that that equipment can get stuck in the mud, God even thought above and beyond and said, it's not enough for me to split the Red Sea, but they're going to cross over on dry ground. And after they were safely across, every last one of them, God then shuts up the waters of the Red Sea and drowns Pharaoh and his army. And so we have often sang that song, the horse and the rider, what? Fell into the sea. The The horse and the rider fell into the sea. The Bible reveals that because Israel did not appreciate that miracle, because Israel did not appreciate being spared by the blood of the lamb that was slaughtered over their doorpost that very night and how Israel shrugged off the deliverance from Egypt's army because they didn't acknowledge God and they didn't have a right spirit about it, the Bible says that God took them out. Now there are a lot of sins that the Bible mentions, amen? There are a lot of sins that the Bible mentions. A lot of sins. The Bible talks about adultery. The Bible talks about fornication. The Bible talks about theft. The Bible talks about lies. The Bible talks about covetousness. The Bible talks about gossip. The Bible talks about anger and and unrighteous anger and having a horrible temper. The Bible talks about having vulgar language. And the Bible talks about... The, the sins in our hearts and in our minds. The Bible talks a lot about various sins. But out of all of the sins in the Bible, there is one sin that tends to stand out. The sin that God hates the most, and probably somebody may want to debate me when it comes to saying, well, that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. No, that is the, God, the one that sin that God hates the most is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is simply not receiving the the Lord. That's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. And that's why you can't be forgiven. Because you never acknowledge your sins and you never have received the Lord. You never received Him as your Lord and Savior. So when you die, how in the world do you expect to ever be forgiven? You can't. That's the only sin that is unforgivable. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. When you resist the Holy Ghost after He's been wooing you and tugging at your heart and trying to get you to live right, trying to convict you through His Holy Spirit, and you continue to shrug it off and shrug it off and shrug it off, and you eventually die in that condition, there's no way you can be forgiven. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So the sin that God hates the most is the sin of unbelief. You read that all throughout the scriptures. I'm amazed as I read that about Jesus as he's going through Capernaum, as he's going through Galilee, as he's going through uh, Samaria, as he's going through all of these towns. He was so amazed either at the belief or the unbelief. You notice that? 
He was never taken back at the woman caught in adultery. He never said, whoa, ho, 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 ho. He never did that. It was the sin of either, it was either the sin of unbelief or he was astounded at even those who were not Jews of their belief. He was taken back. So what does Jude point out here in his epistle and in verse 5? He says, now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that did not believe. There are several words in the Bible that you need to be familiar with. Several words. We sang a while ago. Uh, let me just kind of break it down and talk a little bit basics. Amen. Can I do that this morning? Yeah. The Bible says, or we sang this song, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Who are you singing to when you're saying that? Who are you speaking to when you're saying that? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Who are you speaking? Who are you telling to bless the Lord? Your soul. You're, you're telling your soul, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Why do you have to tell your soul? How many uh, parts is man made of? Somebody tell me. Three, exactly right, three. We are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. You live in a body, you're a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. That's why when somebody passes away and they're laying there in their casket, their spirit is no longer there. Your, your soul is consistent, consists of what? Your mind your will, and your emotions. This is why the psalmist, and even our song this morning, bless the Lord, O my soul. Why? Because your mind may want to be somewhere else, even though you're in church. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Stop the, the racing thoughts. I don't want to think about that. It's amazing. You can be in prayer. How many of you have ever experienced this? You're in prayer, you're trying to focus, but you're thinking of something else. Why do you think the psalmist said, then bless the Lord, O my soul? Why are you downcast, O my soul? The soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Brother Pete, I think, said this morning, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I drank because I wanted to drink. That's your will. I want to. That's your will. So you got to get your want. It's not just enough to get saved. you got to get your want to saved. Come on. Yes. I want to. Wow. I want to. It's your mind, mind, I need you to focus. Stop those racing thoughts. I don't want to think about him. I don't want to think about her. I don't want to think about the job that I got tomorrow, the tasks that I have to do tomorrow. I don't want to think about any of that. I want to focus and get my mind fixated on you because my mind is still being renewed. It's still under the fallen nature. And so I got to get my mind under the authority of the spirit. My spirit is willing. Even the scripture says the flesh is weak. Your spirit is what? It's willing. Your spirit desires. It craves the spirit of God. It craves the presence of God. It's the flesh that doesn't want anything to do with it. So the mind, the will, and your emotions. Your emotions, they can play tricks on you. Your emotions can play so many tricks on you. This is why when... The psalmist says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's telling, hey, mind, my will, my emotions, get in alignment. Yes. Get right. Focus. Hallelujah. I love that in that movie, Taken. <laughs> Remember that part? Whenever he captures that one guy in the movie, Taken, and he's sitting him and he's about to shock him. And he says, wake up, I need you to focus. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you got to tell your spirit, your soul that. Hey, focus. Get focused. Focus on the word. Well, I want to think about my bank account. You don't need to focus on your bank account. You need to think about the one who's going to fill that bank account. That's good. I'm just so angry right now. Quit being angry. It's not about you. Focus. Get your emotions. Lord, I, I, I need you to take control of these emotions. Some of you can't control your anger. You can't control your, your jealousy. You can't control your, 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 they have this, this anxiety, this uneasiness, this fear. This is why you got to get your soul in alignment. 
So let me keep breaking it down. We talked about the spirit, the soul, and the body. Keep going, brother. That sounds good. Faith. That's another word. Faith. Let me tell you what faith is. Faith is releasing an energy. Okay, let me back up. I'm not talking new age. Faith is releasing an energy that's in us that God has given to all of us that we release from inside of us that touches the deep of God. That's what faith is. God has already given you, he's given to all men a measure of what? Faith. He's already given it to you. If he hadn't given you a measure of faith, there's no way you could ever even believe in Jesus and put your faith in Jesus. So by faith, you will receive him. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you're going to come to God, you must first believe that what? He He is. is. Not he is going to be. Not he was. He is. He is healer. He is provider. He is deliverer. He is savior. He is the the rose of Sharon. He is the lily of the valley. He is the ancient of days. He is still the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's who he is. Not just who he was. He still is. So faith is a substance of things hoped for. And not the kind of hope of I hope this happens. That's not faith. It's the substance of things that you're believing for, and it's the evidence of things that are not there that you don't see. I don't see it. I may, I don't understand how it's going to happen. I just know that God's word is, is, is true. I know God's word is immovable. I know that heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will not pass away. His word you can trust. This is why the Bible says that your word, O Lord, is even honored above your name. Okay, because God honors his word. Yes. That's good. Faith is calling those things that be not as what? As though they were. That's what faith is. That's why you got to watch the things that come out of your mouth. You got some power when you speak those things. I don't deserve this apartment. And the very next day, what happened? There was a notice on that apartment. Why? You spoke that into existence. My back is always killing me. Well, okay, you keep prophesying that on your back. Man, this arthritis is killing me. Well, okay, keep speaking that. Keep releasing that. Keep prophesying that over yourself. I never have any money. Well, keep prophesying that over that over your account. Okay, keep on. Or you could say, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. You could begin to declare the word that my God is Jehovah Rapha. He is healer. And he sent his word to heal my disease. By his stripes I am healed. You can begin to declare those things. Get your mouth in alignment with the word. Get your mind in alignment with the word. Faith. Let me tell you what faith is, is not. Faith is not optimism. Okay, it's not just being positive. Optimism is not faith. Faith is believing God and soliciting him for help and reaching out in faith and saying, although I don't see any movement going on right now, I choose to believe you, O God, and I use my faith and I speak out what your word says about my situation. That's faith. Now, what about doubt? Doubt is... Some of you may, if you've been in church for years, you may think doubt is a very bad thing. Let me tell you something. Doubt is not that bad. Okay? Regardless of what the faith preachers are telling you, doubt, listen, okay, I'm going to probably step on some toes here, but doubt is really not that bad. Okay? I'm not saying it's good, but it's not that, it's not as, doubt has gotten a bad rap over the years. Let me tell you what doubt is. Doubt is simply not knowing what to do or at times even what to think. That's what doubt is. Anybody ever doubted? That's, that's what happens sometimes. You come to a fork in the road and you don't have a GPS or a compass and do I go left? Do I go right? Do I go back? Which direction do I go? That's doubt. Okay, so don't beat yourself up if you've ever been in doubt. It's okay because we've all gone through that and God understands. Do I turn back? 
What do I do? Do I take this job or do I not take this job? Do, do, I, do I go to this church or do I not go to this church? Do I, do I buy this car or don't I, do I not buy this car? You're in doubt. You simply don't know. That's what doubt is. Does this make sense so far? Yes. Now, believers and preachers, that's me and Pastor Reuben and maybe some of you in here. We, we've made the mistake and we've taken a hard stance on doubt over the years. And you can listen to faith preachers talk about doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas, is, he's gotten a bad rap. He really has. Despite being a disciple who loved the Lord. How many believe Thomas loved Jesus? He did. But man, here we are as if we got more faith and power in 2017 than Thomas did. Oh, he's doubting Thomas. What miracles are, you, are coming forth from your hands? you got to remember something, church. Hear this. You may want to write this down because this is wisdom here. You have to remember that different people are different people. Different people are different people. So you got doubting Thomas, and then you have Peter. All right? Peter was petulant. Peter was impulsive. How many of you are impulsive? Peter was full of faith. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out into the water. Peter was quick to the draw, so much so he pulled out his sword and sliced off the ear off the Roman soldier. So quick to the draw. Thomas may have been just like some of you, though. Thomas was a little slow to respond. Some of you impulsive people, you need some people just like Thomas who can slow you down. I got people around me at work because I know I'm impulsive. I know I make quick decisions. And sometimes I look at my decisions and I think, God, I wish I could take that back. So you know what I do? I surround myself with people who are a little slower to make a decision. And I sit them in a room with me and I tell them, give me an opposing view. Tell me where my blind spots are. Tell me where I'm not seeing something because this is going to help me make a sound decision. Thomas was just like that. He was slow to respond. He was analytical. Some of you who deal in finances, you're an accountant or whatever, you're very analytical. And that's okay. You analyze. You're analytical. You're more logical, just like Thomas. Thomas was logical. Peter, Jesus is alive. Thomas was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I I saw him die. (laughs) And I have no doubt that Thomas knew the Lord and he loved the Lord with all his heart. In fact, the Bible says that when Jesus came through the wall to meet with Thomas, how many know that should have been enough right there? Just, I mean, you just walk through a wall. That would have been enough for me to say, I believe. Come on. But Thomas, Jesus walks straight up to Thomas. This is what I love about the Lord. He's not like you and he's not like me. He goes straight to Thomas and he loves on Thomas. And really, when you think about it, Thomas being a human just like you and me, Thomas is saying, Lord, I don't understand this. I saw you die. I saw the lashings on your back. I saw your intestines hanging out. I saw your beard plucked out of your face. I saw your face disfigured. I saw the four to six inch thorns jabbed into your brow. I saw the spear going into your side and the blood and water just flowed out. I saw you breathe your last breath. I remember I was there. I saw that. And so Thomas is just saying, I'm having some trouble here. How many of you can relate to some to things like that? There are people like that, and maybe even in this room or those of you listening on podcasts, know this, not everybody's like you. Some people struggle with things that you don't struggle with. Amen? That's right. Come on. Some people struggle with things that you don't struggle with. I struggle with things that you don't struggle with, and you struggle with things I don't struggle with. And Jesus, thank God Jesus understood that. And Thomas was really saying, Jesus, I need you to help me here. 
I need I need help. I need help and understand. And you know what I love about Jesus? Jesus didn't scold him. Jesus didn't rebuke him. Instead, Jesus loved on him. He never castigated him. Instead, what does he do? He gets Thomas's hand. He pulls up his robe and says, Thomas, here, feel. Feel my wrist. Feel. So what was Jesus doing? Jesus was helping his doubt. Doubt is really not that bad. You have doubts. It's okay if you have doubts. You're just not knowing what to do, not knowing what to think. Now, unbelief is different. Unbelief, it's sinister. Unbelief is evil. Do you know why unbelief is evil? Now, if you said, Brother Aaron, your shoes are untied, in order for them to have been untied, they would have had to have first been tied. All right? In order for you to be an unbeliever, that means that you were probably first a believer. And now you are you have unbelieved. Where you once believed, now you're unbelief. And just like here in Jude chapter 1 and verse 5, he says that having saved them and they believed God and they came out through the Red Sea, they saw Pharaoh's army swallowed up by the Red Sea. Afterwards, he destroyed them that still refused to believe. That said, eh. I don't, I don't, and the very next trial, we don't believe God will take care of us. Now, something is going on here in in, in the United States and even around the world, and I don't know how it was released, but but it's been released. And listen to me what I'm about to say this morning. Something has been released that has affected pastors, it's affected evangelists. It's affected preachers, denominations, and churches in this country and around the world. And I believe that God has given me a message this morning to warn us, even at the size of our church, so that we don't slip in to the same rut that many other ministries and many other churches and many other pastors and many other evangelists have fallen into. It's a warning for this church this morning, a warning for everyone here this morning, and for those listening on this podcast that we had better be on guard for Something has been released that is obvious to some, even in the American church, that the American church is not the church that it once was. How many have been in ministry or have been in church for more than 20 years? A few? 20, 20 years, been in church for a while. The church today is not the church it once was. And this is why there's just a few of us that raised our hands. And this is why it's so, you need to be on guard because those of us who have been in church for some time already, we saw some things back in the day. And so we can compare the way things are today. We saw the Holy Ghost move in powerful ways prior. Now, in most ministries and in most churches, you don't see the Holy Spirit move. Why? It's not that he doesn't want to move. It's because he's not being allowed to move. And because a lot of pastors are so controlling that they've sanitized their altar. They've sanitized their church that when the Holy Ghost tries to move, they say, stop. We once believed not just in Jesus and in the Father, but we once even believed strongly in the Holy Ghost and in the power of the Holy Ghost. We once believed in the gifts of the Spirit. We once believed in the gift of tongues. We once believed in the interpretation of tongues. We once believed in healing. We once believed in a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. We once believed in the manifestations of the Spirit. We once believed in casting out devils. And church, let me ask you a serious question. If someone, and listen, for those of you who struggle with this, listen to my question. Because you say, whoa, 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 those manifestations, it's a little crazy. I don't know if I believe in all that. But let me ask you a question. If somebody came through our doors that were demon-possessed, if they can't get help in church, tell me where can they get help? Come on, brother. Jesus. Will somebody please tell me? Hallelujah. Somebody please answer that question. 
If they can't get help in church where that church believes in casting out devils, come on. If somebody came in demon-possessed, if you don't believe in the movement of the Holy Spirit, tell me how in the world can that person get help? And in these last days, you are going to see a powerful movement, not just of the Holy Spirit, but the devil is also going to counterfeit some things, and he's also going to have some things in these last days. So we had better be ready for whatever comes through that door, whatever comes through those doors, and we had better be anointed with the Holy Spirit, and we'd better have a sensitive heart, and we better be ready to move as the Holy Spirit. Spirit moves. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. If churches are so dignified and so sanitized from the presence and the power of God now, and people who are demonized comes in, somebody please answer me. What in the world is the answer for those people? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It has to be church. But something has happened, and it's a spiritual thing, that preachers all over, we've sanitized our churches of the power and the demonstration of the Spirit's power, praying for people at the altar. We don't want it to get too crazy. They're fearful of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. They've sanitized their church from any form of demonstration of the Spirit's power. And they've cut off the gift of tongues. They've cut off the gift of uh, the prophetic word being spoken. They've cut off a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom from their church. Church, can I tell you, that is church. That's right. That is church. But the Bible says that unbelief Mm. happened to Israel after they saw God deliver them with a strong right arm. And church, Prince of Peace, hear me. This nation, like Israel, has seen God do great and mighty things in the past. And you here today, and maybe you listening on this podcast, maybe you have seen God do great and mighty things. Listen up. We had better wise up and get rid of unbelief in our lives. That's the sin that God hates the worst. It's the sin of unbelief. What you're saying is, God, you're a liar and I don't believe you. Do not accept that spirit of unbelief. Do not coddle it. Do not nurture it. Do not pet it. Do not pamper it or even reason with it. You had better cast that unbelief out like you would a black widow out of your shoe. Yes. Come on. Jesus, help us, Lord. Jude said, I will therefore put you in remembrance. I want to remind you, though you want, you already know this, how that the Lord, after saving his people out of the land of Egypt, he destroyed them that chose to not believe. Judah is saying that he is bringing you to remembrance how the Lord saved his people out of Pharaoh's grip. And afterwards, even those who shrugged off what God has done as, as a minimal thing. It's not a big deal. So Judah is reminding us what our attitude should be about unbelief. Unbelief. There are a lot of examples in Scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10. I'm going to read all the way to, uh, is it, no, not, cha- not, not, not verse 10, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. For I don't want you to be ignorant of, the, of this fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. It's the same, same story he's talking about. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate of the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with with most of them, their bodies being scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as, as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Now, can I tell you this, church? God may not destroy people today as he once did. 
But his judgment on people that fall into unbelief is still going to be strong and severe. Did you hear me this morning? It's going to be severe here in America. Our country may not be destroyed physically, but it will be destroyed spiritually. In fact, I believe that that's already happening. America is already dying spiritually, if not already mostly dead spiritually. There's still a lot of good, wonderful people in the house of God and all over this country and in this city. But don't get fooled, friend. The numbers are dwindling. Something has happened and something is happening in our churches. Beware, beware, beware. There is a new breed of preachers that are climbing into these pulpits and into your TV screens and on the internet. A new breed of preachers. And let me tell you something. They are slick. They're lectures. They've learned how to make a church grow and have even learned how to make a church grow without the help of the Holy Spirit. They've learned to make a church grow by dynamics. They have been taught in church growth seminars by church growth experts. They focus on techniques and business models that exclude the Holy Spirit. And the Bible is clear that in the last days there will be a people who have a form of godliness, but yet they deny what? The power thereof. They have a form of godliness. They look godly. They sound godly. They appear godly. But at the end of the day, there's no power. And so now when the Holy Spirit shows up to deliver somebody who is in need of deliverance and set them free and the Holy Spirit attempts to move in a certain direction, these new breed of preachers say, hold up. No, we are doing just fine without you. We can do this without you. The Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter 3 in verse 16 through 18. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. In other words, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and I don't have need of anything. Doesn't that sound like today's church? We are rich. This is America. We are rich and we don't have need of anything. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Verse 18, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may, be, so you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Church, let me tell you something. We need a healing service in our churches. Amen. And I'm not talking physical healing. The church is sick. We're filled with bitterness. We're filled with unbelief. We're filled with anger. We're filled with lust. We're filled with all kinds of things except for, for what we should be filled with. And all the while we're saying we're rich. God's saying you're poor. We say we're finely adorned. And God says, no, you're naked. We say we're doing just fine. And all the while God is saying, no, you're in trouble. We're saying we feel good. We're in good health. And God is saying, no, you make me sick. Help me, Lord. Even among churches that claim to be spirit-filled, there are no demonstrations of the Holy Spirit anywhere. Back in the 70s, I believe it was A.W. Tozer. This is the 70s. We're 2017 today. Some of you may not have been alive in the 70s. Yeah, I got some head shaking. That was a long time ago. Back in the 70s, A.W. Tozer said, and he may have even said it even in the 60s, A.W. Tozer said that if the Holy Spirit were to be removed from the majority of our churches, most of the churches would be content to still continue having church. They wouldn't even know. The Holy Spirit is referred to in churches, yet he's not allowed to lead. And as a result, once the people who are strong in God are weak and have become vulnerable to a sterile environment, guess what? They begin to digress into unbelief. Where once people believed in the power of God and have slipped into a ministry where the Holy Spirit is not allowed, a digression into unbelief takes place. Can I tell you that unbelief is willful? You willingly choose to not believe. I don't know about you, but I don't know how anyone can function in a church 
where there's no life in the worship. There's no expression allowed. There's no gifts of the Holy Spirit on display. And there's no presence in the church. I don't know how anybody can be content with that. I remember passing by a church on my way home a few weeks ago. And on the sign, it said, come do Tai Chi with us on Wednesdays. Tai Chi? That's New Age. They have a Tai Chi class in their church. Look it up. It's, it's Eastern mysticism. Whoa. Just like yoga. For those of you who believe in yoga, get out of that because that's Eastern mysticism. It's New Age. That's right. People who once believed and they slip into these ministries where the Holy Spirit is not allowed to move, eventually they begin to doubt everything. They live in constant fear. There's no longer any joy, no longer any peace. There's no life. They're cold. They're cold towards others and they're cold towards God. They're cold towards the lost. They're to cold towards the backslidden. They're cold towards souls. They're cold towards tithes and offerings. They're cold towards the brethren, even in the church. God forbid that we become the, the church of the frozen chosen. I can just imagine if that if we don't if we do not shake that coldness off of us, I guarantee you we're going to be saying, "Lord, Pastor, turn it down. It's cold in here. It's not even on, brother." <laughs> yes. I need to hurry. In the Old Testament, you read about the ground opening up and swallowing up unbelievers. Today, you may not be swallowed up by the ground because of your unbelief, but you will be swallowed up by trouble. You will be swallowed up by worry and depression and oppression and fear and stress and family issues because you're not consumed by the fire of God anymore. Hmm. People that once had a faith, had faith, now all they talk about is their fear. Obsessed with their worries and their fears. Fear about the bills. Fear about their health. Fear about for the, over their children. Fear over their marriage. Fear over their career. Some of you were never like that. You used to talk faith. What's happened to you? What's happened to your faith? Hallelujah. Why are we chasing after the living among the dead? Unbelief makes God out to be a liar. 1 John chapter 5. I'm sorry, 1 John, uh, yeah, 1 John, is it 1 John? Yeah, chapter 5 and verse 10. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him to be a what? Liar. A liar. Unbelief is saying, God, you're a liar. When you believe God, you're fine, but when you choose not to believe God, guess who takes it personal? You're saying, God, you're wasting your breath. I don't believe you. Help us, Lord. Go to Numbers chapter 14. Allow me just a few minutes more. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Numbers chapter 14 and verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not what? How long will it be ere they what? They believe me. How long will it be until they believe me? How long will they not believe me is what God is saying. Despite what? For all the signs which I have showed among them. The New American Standard Version says the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? How were they provoking God? They were saying he was lying. How long is it going to take you to believe God? How many times has God come through for you? How many times has he gotten you out of the mess you've been in? Come on. How many times has he provided for a debt that you had? How many times has he healed you? How many times has he delivered you? How many times has he moved in the heart of your son or your daughter? How many times has God come through for you? And what is it going to take for you to believe? He's brought you out. Of, some of you, he's brought you out of your deathbed. 
Some of you, he's raised you out of that doctor's report. He canceled a debt that you had no way of paying back. Anybody ever been there? But God somehow miraculously provided for that debt and you didn't have to pay it. And he's saying to you, do you believe me now? So what happens the next time trouble arises? Some of us, we fall right back into unbelief. Right where you're at, just thank him. Right where you're at. Lord, I thank you for all the times you've been there for me. Come on. Come on. Just thank him right where you're at. Come on. Right where you're at. Come on. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you've provided. Thank you that you've healed us. Thank you for my healing. Thank you, Lord, for my bills being paid. Thank you that there's food in my refrigerator. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we have a a covering over our heads. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that we have clothes on our back. We thank you for our jobs. We thank you, Lord. Come on, church. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Oh, come on. Thank him. He's kept you. He's answered your prayers. He's given you peace when you'd had no peace. He's healed you. He's met you at crisis after crisis. He's brought you through trials when you would not have been able to get out of that trial without him. He's fed you when you had no way to eat. He's provided gas money for you to get where you need to go. He's closed you. He's even paid your bills. Amen? Oh, Lord, we thank you. And now you face another crisis and you still have trouble believing. Mm. Jesus. Jesus. Church, let me tell you this. You have pastors that believe God in this church. We believe God. And we desire a church that believes God also. A church that is one in their belief. Amen? A church that is one. Real quickly, go with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1. In verse 26. Deuteronomy chapter 1. In verse 26, are you there? Amen. Tell me amen if you're there. Amen. This is God speaking to Moses. He said, you, yet you were not willing to go up. This is what he's talking, telling Israel here. You were not willing to go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you grumbled in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us. He brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have made our hearts melt, saying the people are bigger and taller than we are. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. And besides, we saw the sons of Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be shocked nor fear them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you just as a father carries a son on his shoulders in all the way which you have walked until you came to this place. But for all this, you still did not trust the Lord your God. Even after all of that, who goes before you on your way to seek out a place for you to encamp in fire by night and cloud by day to show you the way in which you should go. Then the Lord heard the sound of your words and he was angry and took an oath saying, not one of these men, this evil generation shall see the good land which I swore to give your fathers except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He will see it and to him and to his sons I will give the land on which he has set foot because he followed the Lord fully. Friend, the Bible says this. I'm going to read this in the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, if you're there in verse 6. Hebrews claims that you can trust God because it's impossible for God to lie. How many of you know that God cannot lie? If you're going to question anyone, question a preacher. Question a doctrine. But don't question God. 
He doesn't lie. He's faithful. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6. But now, and we read about the Old Testament a while ago, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. How many of you are glad for that? Talking about Jesus. He has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a what? A better covenant which which has established which which was established upon what? Better promises. A better covenant with better promises. Now listen, this is even more dangerous. If God was upset with Israel over lesser promises, how much better, how much more with you and I today with better promises and a better covenant and in more excellent ministry if we still choose to not believe? These promises that we have in his word for today are superior. They cannot be improved upon. And yet so many in the church fall into unbelief even over the better promises. Jesus said in Luke chapter 24 and verse 25, he said, Oh fools, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. I'm going to stop. I have more in my message, but I need to stop. I believe that God is saying, if you're going to see victory, you need to believe him. Regardless of what you're going through, regardless of the trial that you face, whether it be in your body, whether it be in your finances, whether you're believing God for your children and they're out rebelling against you and they're out on drugs and they're out drinking. Church, listen to me. God can still reach people. God still has his ways and means committee. And he's in charge of his ways and means committee. He can make a way where there seems to be no way. He can put a road in the wilderness. He can put rivers in the desert. Are you hearing me? He can make a way where there seems to be no way. But you need to believe God. Choose to believe him. Don't choose to believe the circumstances that are happening in your life. Even though you see them with your eyes. Who are you going to believe? Your own eyes or what God has said? God is faithful. God is faithful. Come on. He's faithful. I don't know what it's going to take. If you believe that God is faithful, stand to your feet with me. Some of you are believing God. For miracles. Some of you are in need of a big miracle. 